Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I hope you're doing well today. I'm excited to share this episode with you. It kind of starts with me talking about my audition ebook that I just released and then just sort of transitioning into a big picture discussion about why we do the things that we do and how to build skill and sort of just some big picture thoughts I've been thinking about recently. So I hope this is fun for you to listen to and interesting. Before we get into that, I just want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest level of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. If you head to Houghton Horns' YouTube channel, you'll find a video of me that's titled Bach vs. Bach vs. Shires. And I took a Bach C-190C trumpet, a Shires 4S8C trumpet, and my own Bach. I played a bunch of excerpts back to back to back to back, and I kind of made it into a game to see if we could figure out which horns were which. I eventually did say which ones they were so people could figure out if they were right, but at the very end of the video, I did do a mystery one where I did not reveal it, and so we'll never know. And if you want to check that video out to hear the differences between these C trumpets and give your own thoughts and comments, I'd really enjoy hearing from you. So I'll leave that link in the description below and you can check that video out. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, it's going to be just me. I did have a podcast interview lined up yesterday, but my friend's wife got pretty sick, and so he needed to take care of her and their two children. So we're going to save that for a different time, and instead I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some stuff that I've been thinking about recently. Um, You all or some of you may be thinking about these kinds of things too, and so hopefully some of my thoughts are interesting for you to listen to. Uh, Some of you might not be thinking about these things, but my guess is is that in the future you may think about these things as well. So hopefully there's some seeds planted here that maybe will uh, be useful for you later if they don't seem like they're useful for you right now. So the first thing we're going to talk about is this Audition ebook that I just released called Efficient and Effective Audition Preparation. And this book does exactly what the title describes. It's going to help you uh, understand what efficient and effective audition preparation looks like, at least through the way that I see things and what I've been learning about recently. Uh, it'll cover things like the gold method again, so that you have a, a picture of what that looks like related to auditions. It covers deliberate practice and how important that is. It'll cover mental techniques to get your mind right so that your mind doesn't sabotage you so that you can have access to the level of preparation that you have, uh, I guess, practiced for, um, that level of preparation that you know you're capable of doing. Um, And then it's also going to go over in detail how I make audition programs. So how I take a list of excerpts and begin to break it down and to make choices for individual excerpts and begin to assign tempos for excerpts and repetitions so that at the end of it, you'll get this two-week program that gives you the amount of repetitions you're going to play for each excerpt. It's going to give you the exact tempos to play. It's going to tell you which days to play it. I go through that entire process. And then at the end of the book, there's sort of a, we're going to bring all of the concepts of the book together and kind of walk through what uh, a five or a six week audition process would look like. And so I hope that this can be useful for people who are uh, in the middle of auditioning right now to give you some good information that will help you be able to get more out of your audition preparation and maybe even help you advance or win. And for individuals who have very little audition experience, I hope that this book can begin to show you what audition preparation looks like, what kind of stuff goes into efficient and effective audition preparation. And 
how you might be able to learn some from some of my own trial and error. I'm hoping to maybe speed up the process a little bit. You know, many of us just take lots of auditions, and over the course of the first four to five to six auditions, we begin to learn the level that we need to prepare at, and we begin to mess around with and experiment with some things that will help us get there. I hope that this book can help you uh, sort of not bypass, but get some of that information you would be getting in those first four to five professional auditions. I hope you can get some of that information through the book so that you can save yourself some money and some time and some headache and heartache of you know failed auditions for the sake of learning so that uh, you can just get right to it uh, and have better information. This book on all sides is not going to replace playing for other people, playing for a coach or playing for a teacher, especially if you are not uh, very uh, experienced in auditions. You know, for someone who's more experienced, if you've got a pretty clear mental representation of what you want to sound like, you will probably be able to get away with just experimenting with the concepts in this book. Um, but again, I just hope that you uh, will see what's in this book, you'll consider what it is, and even if you don't organize and design uh, audition preparation exactly the way that I do. I hope it gives you an understanding of how you might go about doing that and help you ultimately feel more empowered to be more successful in auditions. That's the ultimate goal with all of this. I kind of want to help people who struggle with preparation be able to prepare uh, more effectively and more efficiently with your time. So the book is out. I'm going to leave a link in the description that you can check that out. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Um, what I would do if I were somebody who was interested in this book, I would get the book, I would read the book, and then I would send me a, a, a message on my contact page on my website or a, you know, a DM through Instagram or something, and I would schedule one of those free 30-minute calls. So you can read the book, you can write all the questions, and then we can chat for 30 minutes for free. And it's just going to be the cheapest way for you to get uh, access to this information. Because uh, I guess another option is you could take a lesson to get some of this information, but this way it's cheaper. And then you can ask some specific questions that you yourself might struggle with, and I can be able to give you a little bit more nuance. That's what I would do. Um, I just want the information to be available. So you can check that out at the link in the description. And um, I hope if you do buy the book, I hope that you really get a lot out of it. Um, and I hope that it's uh, a resource that will um, give you uh, the value of the investment and more. Um, I want to tell you the story of how this book came about because it's going to lead us into the big picture discussion that I want to have overall. Uh, I was working, well, I had a bunch of clients, uh, you know, maybe two years ago now when the pandemic started. And I was learning about practice organization and I was learning about audition organization and stuff like that. And um, I don't know how long ago I was working with a client who wanted to prepare for the Dallas Symphony Principal Trumpet Audition. Um, this individual got a lot out of the structure we did for the fundamentals and wanted a structure for this audition. They're uh, busy as a band director, and so they're really busy, and they wanted to try to be as efficient as they could. So I wrote this program. You know, I asked the questions that I would normally ask to try to make it as customized as possible. And I sent it to him, and he tried to do it, and he just said it was too much. And from that point, I was like, well, I could adjust it for you. I could try to help you understand, or I could do that for you. You could tell me what was too much and what you didn't like. And we sort of had some of those talks. But eventually, I was like, I could also just write up a document that would sort of take you through my workflow of how I make some of these decisions so you can just learn how to do it on your own. And so my client said, yeah, let's do that. So I ended up quickly maybe over the, you know, like 10 minutes, just writing out like a seven step process. You get the list, you break it into, you give each one of the excerpts goal tempos, and then you break them into these groups based on difficulty. And then you assign, you know, repetitions and frequency, you know, just each step that you would do that would get you to writing a program. And then that was that. And as I was writing it, I started to think to myself, what if I just fleshed this out and instead of it just sort of being like a checklist of things, I actually wrote prose and gave examples of how I would do this. And so I wrote like a 17-page 
document that just explained how I made the programs. And I sent it to a few people to see what they thought, to see if they had any feedback. And uh, the people that gave me feedback were like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is super, you know, this is super helpful. Or I, at least they thought it was super helpful. And so I was beginning to think maybe I could turn this into some sort of resource that people could have. And then shortly after that, I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure exactly what I thought. But I decided instead of just writing it about auditions, what if I just wrote something about how I do all the programs? So fundamentals, etudes, solos, um, recitals, and auditions, like everything. And then I thought to myself, what if I just wrote a book detailing everything I think about practice organization? And so I did. I wrote a one like a 125-page Google document. And that was just there. And I sent it to a few people that I, you know, wanted feedback from. And I got some really, really great feedback from them. And some of the feedback I got was the overall book is missing some components that are important. And so I realized, unfortunately, that I was going to kind of have to start over. So much of what I wrote was great, but I need to rethink how I'm presenting the information. And so I didn't scratch anything. I just sort of went back to the drawing board. And what I ended up doing is I took the the discussion from that 125-page document. There was a discussion of how I write all of the different programs. I decided to take that out. And I thought, I'll just turn this into a specific book on auditions. So instead of having to read this super long book to get some information about auditions, I'll just pull that out and then I'll write a more complete uh, discussion on auditions. And that is how this ebook came about, right? So it's it wasn't like I just said to myself, I know some things about auditions that I think can help other people. I'm going to write an audition ebook. Like it took me, it took over the course of, you know, eight or nine months to get to this point where I released this this ebook. And the thing I want to talk about here is it just, it just takes a long time to get where you want to go. You know, if if a book is your idea or if you want to win an orchestra job or a teaching position or just have a career in music or, you know, you want to become a videographer or you want to be an artist or you want to become, you know, some higher up manager in some sort of Fortune 500 company and you so you can, you know, make some money and live that lifestyle or whatever. Like it takes a long time to get there. And if you would have told me how long it was going to take to write this audition ebook and the process I was going to go through, I'm not sure I would have been like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. Let's just meander for eight or nine months and then come up with uh, this resource. You know, as a trumpet player, it's hard for me to remember being a beginner because I've been playing for 20 years or so. You know, I remember having concerts when I was in middle school and high school and maybe even early college that just didn't go the way I wanted them to go. And sometimes it would be kind of, um, I don't know if depressing is the right word, but it certainly caused an emotional reaction. You know, I, I was certainly unhappy. Um, so, but it's hard for me to remember that now. It's hard for me to connect with that feeling because, you know, I've been playing the trumpet at, at, at a high enough level for a little while now that I don't really have good and bad days as much anymore because of the skill that I've developed. Um, so it's hard for me to connect there, but with something like video production, making YouTube videos, making other types of videos for other projects, things like that, uh, that I can totally connect with. You know, I, I feel if I, you know, if I look back to some of the early videos that I created on YouTube, there's a video, it's funny, there's a video that uh, new people see if they're not subscribed to me. It's an intro, a channel intro video. And I see that every single time I go onto my profile to check something, and it, I hate it every single time I see it, because it's like, Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm Ryan B. It's like I, it's like this almost this put on because I didn't understand yet how I wanted to structure the video and how I wanted to talk to my audience. And so, you know, I listen back to that and I'm reminded every single time what my early attempts were. And to get to the point where I'm at now has taken an insane amount of time and effort. You know, I've watched countless YouTube videos. I've actually bought a course. Uh, to help to help me with a little bit more structured information. And then I've practiced 
over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it's not been a very easy process and it's not been um, a straight line. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I learned this and I learned this and I learned this and everything that I decided that I wanted to have happen happened exactly the way I wanted it to. But somehow at this point, uh, I, I feel like in the context that I've practiced the most, I'm able to make a pretty nice looking video. I just released a Charlier 2 video on my YouTube channel and I'm pretty happy with the result of the way that it looks. And so this is an example, you know, like this is an example of it's going to take a long time to get where you want to go. And sometimes if you would say to yourself when you get to the end, like, you know, you're someone at the end, if you would be able to talk to yourself five years previous to that and say, this is what you're going to go through to get where you want to go. Some of us would say, like, I don't want that. I really don't want to do that. And so the question becomes for me, not so much about like, you know, how will I get where I want to go? We'll talk about that in just a second. But really, the, the bigger question is what justifies the work that you do, right? Some people call this, what's your why? You know, for you, when you do something, let's say you have a recital. Let's say you're in college. Some of this discussion is going to be geared towards college-age individuals uh, because they have access to resources like teachers and other types of things that I don't have ac ac as much access to now. And so I'm going to gear some of that towards them, but hopefully it'll still be relevant for everybody else. But let's say you're going to do a recital and you're like, you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to practice really hard for this recital. The question you have to ask is why, what would justify working really hard for the vast majority of us? The result of your effort is what justifies the work. By that, I mean having a great recital, right? Like if you sound good on your recital, you'll, you'll feel like all of the work that you did and however hard you worked was worth it. If you have a bad recital, it's very easy to feel like all of the work that you did is not worth it. It was just a big waste of time. I worked so hard. You know that Linkin Park song, I tried so hard and I got so far and in the end it didn't even matter. I'm not sure if if that's about trumpet recitals or music recitals, but it can't that that sentiment can apply here. When the result is the point what justifies our work, that's a lot of pressure on on whatever the particular result will be. So again, like what is an, an example of a results-based justification be winning an audition, having a great jury or a recital or nailing a big solo in a concert for video production, another one of my passions, you know, having the best looking, most perfect video with the most, the smoothest edits and having no mistakes. This is something that would be like a results based thing. If I could make that video, I would feel like, yeah, all the hours I put into this video are worth it because I got this end result for artists. It could be creating art that somebody else uh, enjoys or that somebody else will buy. Uh, and then sort of a big picture thing I want to just introduce here and then we'll come back to it is sometimes I'll hear people say when I when I interview people on the podcast, you know, we, when we talk to them, some people say, I really wanted an orchestra job or I really wanted to pursue, you know, teaching others like I really had this passion. But some other people will say, I didn't really care what I did. I just wanted to have a career in music. And as beautiful of a sentiment as that is, because it's more open-ended and it's a little bit less pressure put on to have one particular result, I would still say it's a results-based justification. And I'll explain why in a second. For me, when the result justifies the work, like I said, it puts a lot of pressure on the result. And this is, I think, where a lot of things like performance anxiety can work their way in, is because... It's all of the work in the practice room is great, but in this one moment, in the one moment of the audition, now everything counts. You don't get another shot after that. You can't, it's not like a practice session where if it goes poorly, you can come back tomorrow and try again. And so if this one moment means everything, it can be an incredible motivator, but it can also create an inc like a very low valley, so to speak. Like if you think about peaks and valleys, 
it can create an incredible high and it can create an incredible low, depending on what the result is. Now, when you're in control of the result, it can be a, a great motivator. But, you know, when we're early on in our music performing careers, we just don't have enough perspective over our playing, over, you know, collaborating with other musicians and ultimately just especially with things like mental representation and being able to understand what we want and what is our ultimate goal. If that's not fully developed, if we still have gaps in that, we're going to, even if we prepare to the best of our ability, we're going to still have negative outcomes from time to time because we don't know everything. If we knew everything, we wouldn't be in school. We'd be out there performing and making tons of money and all that kind of stuff. So, there, there's one justification for our work, which is the result. I want a good result. And because I want a good result, I'm going to work insanely hard. Now, what will happen with some people is if they have continual good results, that will motivate them. And that's fine. But for some of us, if we're results based and we continually have negative outcomes, we can start to question whether or not this is actually for us or not. We can start to think, I sound bad every single time I perform on my instrument. Maybe performing on my instrument is not something I'm supposed to do in my life. And for some people, maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe some people, that is just true. Like, it's just not for them. But I think there is a group of people in the middle whose preparation process is not the best. They don't know how to make it better. And they're just doing their best every single time. They're working hard and they're continually finding out that their efforts are never good enough to get the result that they want. And so it begins to it begins to teach them that essentially like I'm never going to have the outcome I want. I think again this is another way performance anxiety works its way in there is when you just have a lot of negative outcomes you start to expect negative outcomes. You hope for something different. So I'm sh hopefully at this point this makes sense there's results based. The other justification big picture justification that exists is the process, right? And so what justifies your work is the development of a process. Not necessarily that I get a particular result at the end, but like this project, this audition, this recital, this concert, this video, this art I'm creating, my ultimate goal of a career, uh, having a career in music, anything that I'm doing, the main thing that it serves is for me to continually learn about how to do it better and better and better over time. So you're asking yourself questions like, what am I learning by doing these projects? This is kind of how I learned videography. It's a very deliberate practice thing, but I would make a video, I would watch my video, and then I would go watch somebody else on YouTube that makes amazing videos, and I would just start to ask, what's the difference? Oh, their lighting is better. Oh, listen to their audio, it sounds so much better. Oh, look at the way that they transition from things. And there were, there were questions I wasn't even ready to ask about things like storytelling because I didn't even have the basics down. And so I would say, all right, the next video, I'm going to try something. I'm going to learn a little bit about lighting, and I'm going to try something different on my next video to see if I can get a different result. And if you just – so every project becomes not – I, will, I have to have the best video. It becomes, let's see what I can learn about lighting through this project. Let's see what I can learn about audio through this project. The point becomes learning all of a sudden instead of proving yourself, right? So you're asking, what am I learning by doing these projects? And then how can I take that knowledge that I'm learning to improve my further efforts or future projects? You're also able to improve the process itself. So not just the result. You're not using the process to improve the result, but you're using the process to improve the process by asking, how can I solidify my approach or workflow to create more efficiency with my work? So you're saying, do I recognize some things that work, that worked last time, that worked this time? Should I keep doing those things? And eventually you find, well, when I seem to do things in a certain order or in a certain way, it seems to have a good result. That's the way I'll start doing things. And so going back quickly to that, I want a career in music as a justification. Another way you could view that, even though it seems open-ended, it seems very much like I'll, you know, whatever happens, happens. Another way you can frame that is to say, I want to become the very best player that I can be and take advantage of every opportunity that comes my way in my career. 
So that's that's a different mindset than I want a career in music. A career in music, you're you're hoping to get better, but you're also sort of waiting and hoping that people will give you opportunities. And if it doesn't work out, then it's like, okay, well, this didn't work out for me. The other one is I want to be the very best player I can. Well, that requires that you get knowledge, you build skills. You're going to seek out opportunities to learn from other uh, teachers or colleagues or peers. And then I want to take advantage of every opportunity that comes my way. Um, there's a video I was watching where um, this this guy was talking about education and he was saying, you know, he's sort of framing like getting a job is getting paid to learn how to do that thing. Instead of I have this job and I'm just doing it and then I'm getting paid, he's seeing it as an opportunity to learn. So in my particular instance, my job is principal trumpet with the Alabama Symphony Orchestra. If I framed it the way he was framing it, I would say... I'm getting paid to learn how to get better at being a principal trumpet. Now, that's a very different viewpoint than I play principal trumpet with an orchestra. I'm being paid money to learn how to become a better principal trumpet. Some of these skills I can take and leverage them to be able to help other people learn how to play principal trumpet uh, more effectively. Like I have very specific skills related to that that could be helpful for people who may be in a similar position, and I'm getting paid money to develop those skills. So if I see it that way, I'm more likely to see the opportunity as a way to learn and to take advantage of, even if it's a small, like let's say it's a small gig at a church or you know, it's a pickup orchestra doing like a, a musical for a high school or something. If you see that as an opportunity to um, sort of display what you have learned and you learn a lot from that, you take that knowledge and you use it to improve yourself for the next gig that you have, like you'll get where you want to go. It might still take a long time because that's sort of a constant, but I think that you'll have a better relationship with what truly matters Instead of it being like, am I getting the opportunities I want? You're saying, I'm going to make the most of the opportunities I have, whether or not they're the ones I want. And I think just living in that space long enough, you'll get where you want to go. So the ultimate, for me, the ultimate sort of takeaway from what justifies your work is learning is the best outcome by far. So it's sort of combining the two. What is the result that I am seeking? What result justifies my work? learning. And how do I learn? I use the process and ask lots of questions. So one of the problems for individuals in music school is that it can very much feel like you have four years to get as good as you're ever going to be. And when you feel like that, even as a freshman or a sophomore, there can be this perceived pressure to begin to prove yourself in some way. So that when you graduate as a senior, you will make your teachers proud or the other teachers at the, you know, so you're in your private teacher or the other teachers, you want to make them proud because they've invested so much work and so much time into you. You want to prove that the work that you've done is good enough to allow you to do the thing that you want to be able to do, which is to have a career in music. And four years may be long enough for some people, but for some people, four years might not be long enough. And so there's lots of people who get out there who are on their own. They're out of school. They haven't quite landed where they're going to land, and they begin to put self-imposed limits on themselves. They'll say, I am going to continue to try to do this until I'm 25, and if I can't win a job when, when I'm 25, I'm going to quit. And I'm sure if you ask that person, well, what if you won a job on your 25th, the day after your 25th birthday, would you do it then? Would you stay? Would you stick around? And if they said yes, you could say, well, what if it was the next day? What if it was the next day? You know, we realize like if we just take it one day at a time, we don't have to decide whether I want to quit or whether I don't. You just continue to see, am I progressing in a direction that makes it seem like this is still a worthy uh, use of, you know, my time and my energy and my attention. There are times where we should quit. I'm not saying that you should just stick it out, you know, and, you know, just say, well, no matter what, I'm just not, you know, I don't have any gigs right now and 
I can't pay for my bills, but I just believe in myself enough that like, I'm not going to get another job. And I'm just, you know, I mean, there may be, there may be a, a time in which you say, I need to go take care of some other things. I will do my best to continue playing, but I may not be pursuing a career in music the same way. But even if that's the case, this next point I'm going to make still stands. Instead of seeing it like I have four years or six years with a master or eight years with a doctorate, instead of seeing it as I have this length of time to get as good as I'm ever going to be, I think it's better to see it as the first four years of a 20-year growth period. That way, it's going to take the pressure off some of the results that you get. Let's say you're a sophomore, or let's say you're a senior, and you have a bad senior recital. If you think, this is the end of my time here, and I had a, I had a bad senior recital, like, how am I ever going to succeed? You could see it as, I'm in year four of 20. So even though I had this result that I didn't want, I can still focus on what can I learn from it. And maybe in year five or year six, I'm going to be killing it because of what I learned from this. It's going to take the pressure off some of the results, and it's going to emphasize the most important asset you can invest in, which is your knowledge and your skills. I'm not sure I saw it this way when I was in, in college. I think I saw it as... I have to prove myself to myself, not to anybody else, but to myself. I set out to say, I want this result. And so everything came, came, became about proving that that was going to happen. So uh, in rehearsals, I had to sound awesome. In performances, I had to sound awesome. In practice sessions, had to go well. You know, I couldn't, like any failure or any sort of cracks that are shown became a huge problem for me because they were evidence that like, I didn't know everything I needed to know. This is a very fixed mindset way of seeing things. If you remember back to our episode titled, It's a Mindset, we talked about fixed and growth mindset. What I would try to see now is basically, especially if you're a freshman or a sophomore, your only responsibility is just to learn, just to acquire knowledge and to acquire skills. You have nothing to prove. You really have nothing to prove at any stage, but when you're young, putting the focus on, I need to prove that I have, I'm good enough or I need to prove that I have these skills is not nearly as important as saying, I don't, there are many things that I don't know and I'm willing to sound bad so I can learn what those things are so that I can get better, so that I can become an expert, so that I can become so good that people cannot ignore me so that I can have a career in music. Having a career in music is an outgrowth of developing knowledge and skills. And so if you just try to focus on the career part of it and you don't develop the knowledge and the skills, it's hard for you to be able to step into those opportunities. So the reason I wanted to especially speak to college-age people is because those of us that are out of school, um, maybe some of us are fortunate enough to have jobs where we have regular performing um, concerts and stuff like that. Other people may not. And so you lose what you have in school, which is tons of teachers around you that you can listen to them play, you can ask them questions, you can sort of humble yourself in front of them and say, there's a lot that I don't know, help me. And they will. And so uh, you also have tons of ensembles. I, I don't know what it's like for everybody else, but I was in like four or five ensembles at any given time during my undergrad. And if you try to shift your perspective from, I just got to do this ensemble to, I have this opportunity here to practice the things that I have been practicing in my practice sessions and almost just treat it as it's if, if it's like a sort of a faux performance. Like it's not a performance because I'll get another shot. But if I treat it like it's a performance, I can begin to see where are the gaps in my preparation. And so I can go fix those. And if I don't know how to fix those, I can go ask my teacher how to fix those things. Like it can become an incredible way for you to get feedback if you just shift your perspective. Again, this is fixed versus growth mindset. And really what we're talking about here is if you're in school, especially if you're in school, this is a big picture life thing. But if you're in school and you view everything as a test, you will not get out of school what you need to get out of school. You just won't because you won't be thinking about what am I learning? You're going to be thinking about what you can and what you can't do. A test either tells you like a test is going to be a performance. Let's call it that. So a performance is going to tell you one thing. It's going to tell you how 
was I able to demonstrate my skill that I have acquired at that moment? That's all it's going to tell you. But some people take it as this has now defined what I am capable of. I played this way and this is as good as it's going to get. Or I played this way and this is what I do well and this is what I don't do well. That's not what a perf- that's not what a performance or a test is. I was just having this conversation with my daughter this morning. She had a test and she did well. And I was saying, well, just so you know, doing well on a test is great, but you studied, you worked hard for that. Sometimes you might have a test where you can't study that much. And if you don't have an outcome that you want, it doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. It doesn't mean that you can't learn that. It just means at that point in time, you hadn't studied it enough or hadn't engaged with the material enough material enough to be able to demonstrate that you understand it. That's all a performance is. So if you haven't prepared in such a way where you can demonstrate that, the problem is not with you and your ability. The problem is with your preparation. When I first started working with Karen Kibitas uh, a number of years ago, she had me read a book called Chopwood Carry Water by Joshua Medcalf. The, the sort of the structure of the book is a fictional story uh, about a sensei named Akira and a student named John who wants to become a samurai. And so this book is sort of chock full of tons of really great small nuggets of wisdom. And in chapter five, the chapter is titled, Nothing is a Test. Uh, and so it just has to do with John struggling with his training and his sensei talks to him and... Um, Akira began to speak and he said, John, you keep getting in the way of your own potential because you keep seeing everything as a test. The secret is to understand that nothing is a test, but only an opportunity to learn and grow. Many people never fulfill their potential because they look at every situation in life as a test. If you look at something as a test, then you will focus only on passing the test instead of maximizing your growth through the experience. Over time, the person who is simply focused on maximizing what they can learn and how they can grow will become much greater than the person who sees life as one continual test to prove themselves. Don't fall for the trap, John. Even tests in school are not tests. Nothing is a test. It's only an illusion. Everything is an opportunity to learn and grow because remember you are building your own house. And it's the idea that the way we do our work is like building a house. And that's really what we're doing, right? So I hope I've made my point here that learning is the best outcome. So if you want to focus on a result, focus on the result of learning and then become obsessive with, I want the best outcome I can. So I want to learn as much as I possibly can. Uh, before we sort of move on to this final point, I, I want to reference, there's a a guy on who started posting YouTube videos. His name is Alex Hermosi, and he has this website called acquisition.com where he has a portfolio of businesses that he manages and he helps them like exit or whatever. I don't really understand. Uh, and I guess like this, this acquisition.com, you know, he says we do a hundred million dollars a year and I have nothing to sell you. So he's just sharing ideas. And he shared this presentation he gave to a room full of salesmen. And it, one of the slides had a what was a ladder. And one side of the ladder, he wrote traits or character traits. And one side of the ladder, he wrote beliefs. And the individual rungs of the ladder were sta- or the individual rungs of the ladder were skills. All right. So What he was saying is if you have a ton of belief in yourself, let's say you have belief that will take you 10 rungs up a ladder. That's one side of the ladder. But you have uh, character traits that are only, you know, three rungs up the ladder. Let's say you really struggle with being disciplined or you really struggle with being patient or whatever. You know, there's various character traits we need to be able to um, just do the work necessary and be successful. So if you have 10 rungs on one side and three on the other, you'll only be able to go up three rungs, even though your belief could possibly take you further. And what he's trying to show is that the thing that you need to focus on is not believing in yourself more and not acquiring more skills, but developing the character traits necessary to be able to then take the skills you have and climb the ladder. The other side of the the coin is you're willing to do the work, you're motivated, um, and you have skills that you want to develop, but you you only believe you can get so far. You don't see yourself as someone who could 
you know, win principal trumpet of X big symphony, or you don't see yourself as someone who could be some sort of a huge trumpet soloist or, you know, a teacher who is able to help everybody, you know, whatever it would be. You don't see yourself as someone who could be at the top. You see yourself as someone who's like, well, maybe I could sort of get three or four rungs up the ladder, right? So the thing you need to focus on is not so much developing yourself or, you know, the skills, but rather spending your time and your energy on figuring out, maybe it's you got baggage, various emotional baggage from, it could be childhood or it could be, you know, you're just in life situations that you're around people who have limiting beliefs, whatever, right? But, and those things are things that people overcome, but you have to sort of acknowledge that they could be things holding you back in the first place, and then you figure out how to deal with it. And so it's a way to think about how do we make sure that the latter is going to be like our beliefs and our character traits will be able to take us as far as we want to go so that when we start talking about building skill, we can move up the ladder as fast as possible. So the final question that we're going to have to ask here then is if you're somebody who has all the belief in the world and you're somebody who is able to, you have the character traits to take you as far as you want to go, and you're now saying, how do I build the, the rungs of the ladder, the skill as quickly as possible, what's the fastest way to build that skill and climb the ladder? My answer to that would be to do the very best work you can at any given time. Because quality work will be satisfying to complete, and it will likely be the deepest learning that you're taking part in. So we got to make sure the work is quality. Not any type of work will do. It's got to be quality work. And what defines or determines quality work? That's the question. Focus. If you are focused, you have a chance for your work to be quality. There's other parts at play, the structure and the way that you're getting feedback. But if you're not focused while you're working, there's no way you're getting the most amount of quality out of your work. And this is just scientifically a, a, a fact. If you go listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast, the first like one, the episode one, episode four, episode six, episode seven is pretty good too. These are all on neuroplasticity. And he will tell you, the things that will change your brain are the things you are paying very close attention to. All right. So if we are not focused on what we are trying, what we are doing, or focused on what we are trying to improve, we cannot learn. So this means mindless practicing. If you're playing your scales and you're just like, oh, I hate my scales. So I'm not going to, I'm not really going to pay attention because I just know it. I just need to do it because my teacher told me you're not getting better. If you're just like, oh, I know this thing or, I, you know, I just like want to like ha have a good time while playing my instrument. There's literally nothing wrong with this, right? There's nothing wrong with just playing your instrument and enjoying it. But if your goal is improvement, if your goal is skill acquisition and to climb this ladder, so to speak, so that you can achieve some sort of goal, you have to be focused. Another example for me is when I described the making of the videos and I was like, okay, I see somebody's lighting is better than mine. I got to go learn about lighting and then I'm going to make another video with that new knowledge. If I just would have said, I don't like the way my video looks, I'm going to make another one without asking myself, what do I want to improve? And I did that over and over and over and over again and made the same amount of videos. There's no way I would be able to make a video that is of the quality that I can do now. Like, again, we're just talking about deliberate practice here. And you need to be able to focus to do deliberate practice. Now, the thing I want to introduce right here, because this may be something that some people might disagree with, is that it is important to me to recognize that a little bit of quality work, a little bit of focused work is preferable to a lot of low quality work or unfocused work. So I think it's better to practice for one hour a day with maximal focus than for three hours a day where most of it's not focused. Because not only are you not getting the most out of your time, that's a thing, you're trading your time. You're saying, I'm going to practice for three hours, but at least an hour and a half of that could be useless to me. You're better off going and doing something else with your time. You're better off doing something that doesn't take as much focus as practicing an instrument. But an hour of focused practice, and even yet an hour that's broken up into sections of 15 minutes of practice and five minutes of rest or something like that, where you can get rest in there, 
that's even better because you're never you're never fully getting to deplete your mental reserves. There is a physical component to playing an instrument. There's no doubt about that. But the mental component is is more not more important, but the mental component is something that's often overlooked. If you're practicing on a tired brain, if you're practicing when you're tired in general, it's going to be hard to get a lot out of it. So recovery is important here. You cannot max out your attention and then wake up the next day and expect to have the same exact amount of, of attention. And this is the thing I think some people disagree with. They think, well, when you're young, your bodies can handle more. And so this is the time you really want to try to like squeeze in as much work as you possibly can. And if your mind can handle that level, level of focus, go for it. But if it can't, you need to build up to that. And this is, this is all in deliberate practice research. It's also in Deep Work by Cal Newport, where he talks about, this is kind of a similar concept of deep work, is things that create new skill, things that are meaningful, shallow work, are, you know, sort of repeated menial tasks like, you know, checking email. Checking email does not require deep work. Practicing an instrument is not the same thing for your brain as checking your email. I hope we all understand that. All right, so... We need recovery. You got to make sure you're getting your sleep. And then even within a practice session, if you find you're struggling to build in regular periods of rest, that will dramatically help the quality of the work you do. And then if you can get some good structure surrounding what you're doing and some good deliberate practice, you're going to start to see that your work is sticking around from day to day. You're starting to actually build that house. And if you have a bad day, it's fine because nothing is a test. No practice session is a test of your abilities. It's just where we do the work so that we can, over the course of a long period of time, try to steer the ship in the direction we want to go. So, again, from a, from a school perspective, I kind of even want to just summarize what I was just saying um, through a story. Uh, my wife is getting a Pilates certification and it's a very intensive process. Uh, about four or five months ago, she went to Atlanta and she got trained in sort of the beginner portion of this Romana's Pilates. There's, a, there's different sort of styles of Pilates. Romana's Pilates is very traditional. So she's getting trained in this approach to Pilates. And then this past weekend, she had to go back to Atlanta and she got tested on her ability to do it, her ability to teach it. And then she began to learn the intermediate part of it. And so she passed her test, but she didn't immediately know what, what score she got. She didn't even know they were being scored. And so when they started talking, when she heard someone say, oh, I got this score, she was like, oh my gosh, like we're being, we're being graded on this. It's not just a pass fail. And she could feel that sort of perfectionistic version of herself jump in. And then when she did the test, she got all sorts of critical feedback. From the, from the instructor. And she was really thinking like, man, I must not have done really well if I got all of this critical feedback. And then she got her test back, or her score or whatever, and she got a 96, 96 out of 100. That's pretty good. And so she felt it was very interesting that she got such a high score, yet she got so much critical feedback. And it's basically saying what you're doing is great. Here's how you can move forward from there. Can you imagine if the teacher said, you got a 96, you're perfect. Everything, or not quite perfect, but everything's awesome. I don't need to tell you anything. She wouldn't learn and she wouldn't grow. And so if we do the same thing in music school, if we have a, if we have a jury and it doesn't go well, and instead of being like, okay, what critical feedback can I get so I can try to make this process not happen again or this outcome happen again, and we just say, well, that's how it went. That's that, whatever. And we don't put learning as the best outcome. Like you're basically stuck there. And so the only way out of whatever particular level that you're at is knowledge. And that's, you know, being in school and having access to so much knowledge is a huge deal. And so what Kathleen sort of was, we were talking about this before, you know, this morning when we were trying to get my notes together. What many of us want in school, what I wanted, as I told you that story earlier, I wanted validation. I wanted my playing to validate what I thought was what I was capable of. I wanted my teachers and my friends to validate it. I wanted everybody to say, you're awesome. You're going to be great. Because I wanted to believe I was already put together. I wanted to believe that like, I didn't have things that I needed to work on. I didn't want to believe 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's of course it seems silly, but like I wanted to believe that everything was awesome. And what I need and what I think we all need is not validation. I mean, of course, we want to know that like we're in a good space and that we have worth and all that kind of stuff. But that's separate from what I'm talking about. We all have worth. Your instrument does not define your worth, how you do on your instrument. I, we, I've struggled with this a lot. I know a lot of people struggle with this, but it's just not true. You're a whole entire person outside of what you do. But at the same time, results matter. Our ability to deliver a product in a particular way or at a particular level matters. And so we have to separate and say, I am a work in progress and I'm okay with that. But is the result that I'm getting a result that it's at the level that I need it to be to head wherever I want to head? And if the answer is no, it's not that you're not good enough. It's just you have stuff to learn. Hopefully all that makes sense. And to bring it all the way back around to the beginning, that's why I created this audition ebook. I know there's a lot of people out there who struggle with audition preparation. And instead of getting to the end of an audition prep and saying, well, here's what I learned. Here's what I did well. Here's what I didn't do well. I'm going to make these very specific changes to be able to make a better result next time. It's just like, well, that didn't work out. I guess I'll try again next time. And this kind of thing won't lead to better outcomes if we're not trying to learn from the process and make the process better. And so we need data to do that. And the reason I made the audition book the way I did is I tried to out lay it out in such a way where to show you how many different choices you could make to create a structured program, you follow the structured program, and then you know what the result is at the end. So if it wasn't quite what you wanted, you can look back at what you did and say, oh, this excerpt didn't go as well. Maybe I should adjust it in this way for next time. And now you are trying out processes instead of just throwing paint at a wall and hoping that you actually learn it. That's part of the goal for me behind that. It's part of the goal for the app is just to make it easier for people to have access to that kind of structured work and you can mess with variables and things like that. So that's going to be the end of this episode. I hope it was... Um, I hope y'all it was made sense and all that kind of stuff. Some of these thoughts are, uh, I believe in them deeply, but uh, I haven't necessarily formulated them into a branded statement. So um, some of them, um, I hope it landed. We'll put it that way. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you had any thoughts at all, I would appreciate it if you would give this episode a rating and a review on iTunes. Don't forget to share it on social media. If you enjoyed this episode or you had any feelings at all, I would appreciate it if you would give this episode a rating and a review on iTunes. And please don't forget to share it on social media. If you have any questions or you want me to cover a different topic or things that you are interested in, uh, feel free to reach out to me on either that's not spit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. And I would love to be in touch with you. I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. You can check out Brandon's uh, work on epiphanyrecordingstudio.com. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time.